All right, so this guy goes to, uh, he's like a missionary, and he's there to, um, you know, educate the, uh, the poor people of this one particular village. And this is back in like in the year 1600 I'm talking about now. And he's there and he's trying to help out, uh, as, as a good Christian would, to bring out the best in these people. He wants to teach the Bible. Great. And he goes to the leader of the group. And they're, they're trying to do agriculture, just like anyone else. And, um, and he sees that this farmer uh, of this tribe is having a really tough time. Why? Because, uh, you know, they, can't, they don't know how to irrigate very well. They use an ox, which is great. But the ox, uh, you know, he doesn't have any control and he's constantly tilting his head upward. And it's, it's, it's a big, crazy stuff. And, but, you know, he does do some farming. And so, um, you know, the, 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 pre, the, the missionary comes to him and says, listen, I, wanna, I have a gift for you. I want to show you a whole new world. And he presents to him uh, an axle with two wheels on it. He's never seen wheels and he says, we call this the wheel. And, and you know that, that, you know, that this is going to be the, the great moment. You know, like, I don't know, like the time that, that the Star Trek, uh, you know, uh, civilizations discover warp speed, right? That's, that's what ch- changes <laughs> all the universe for them. And the man looks at the, the, uh, the tribesman looks at it because he's just so stunned. And he says, wow, this is amazing. I love this. And he looks at it in, in, in awe. And, and the, uh, the missionary, you know, shows him, you know, he starts rolling it back and forth to show him this, the beauty of the wheel. And then he leaves the missionary, thankful for this. And he, and he goes on to other towns and such. And he comes back to this particular town to see how they've been progressing. Now, it's, it's a good year later. And he comes back to the chief and he, and, and he says, well, how are things going? magnificent, he says. It is so wonderful, this, this great invention you gave me. And I said, please, uh, show me. You must see how we use it. And he goes out and he goes, you see, there it is. And, and he says, he doesn't see, you know, being wheeled or, or, or anything else, like putting seeds that way. What does he see? He sees the ox and he's got the wheel on around his neck <laughs> and it's forcing his head down <laughs> so that it can concentrate on the ground. <laughs> and that's that. <laughs> And the point is, Ari, some people just don't want to learn. They just don't. Does this remind you of some people that you and I might know? A political party, for example. An ideology, for example. That no matter what you present to them, you can literally show them the what's what of either an invention, an idea, uh, an economic concept. And they will, they will take it but they'll, they'll use it in a completely bizarre way, right? They'll use it against you, if anything. At least this, this tribesman didn't use it, the wheel against you, against the guy. He didn't use it as a weapon against himself. Or to make a chariot to attack him. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Um, they just don't want to learn. And it's, I, I think this is so common. I mean, liberals will talk all, all day long about how you know, conservatives are greedy how free market capitalism has led to oppression and things like this, but they don't actually have facts to their to, to back it up. You'll present by contrast. Here's why uh, free market capitalism is a good thing. Here's why it's always worked, and you'll try to present them facts. And 
they'll always push you away. Always. Because the, the moment that they open up their ideas, like, let me see if this actually works better, that, that's, that's the day that they become a conservative. That's literally the day they become a conservative. Because as soon as one door is opened, then all the other doors open as well. All of them. That's what happened to me. Because I was willing to say, you know, maybe I've been wrong on this conservative thing. Tell me more. And you know what? I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be turned on every single issue, including the, the, the bugaboo of all conservative issues, which is abortion, right? The, the ultimate. Now, I was already ready to embrace free market capitalism because I was already, I was an economics major. I went to business school. So I, I got that. So maybe I, I, the ground was soft to convert me. But I think for most people, it's so hard. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm an economics major. It doesn't matter that I'm an MBA. I, I'll tell them day, day, day in and day out how supply and demand works, and people just don't give a crap. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, those are my two cents on that. But it's, what do you think? I mean, they just don't want to learn. And isn't that your frustration as a conservative when you talk to liberals, when they, they, they kind of challenge at you and you say to them, I'd like to talk to you. Do you want to listen? And you start talking, and then they, they give you this pushback. Isn't, isn't that exactly what's going on? Isn't that the main thrust of it? Yeah, absolutely. It, it completely is. And furthermore, there's two categories of liberals that uh, um, create this. There's people who you don't care about, and you've learned over the years to thicken your skin and just kind of move on and not worry about you know, casting pearls before swine. But then there's people you really care about people who you, you trust in their integrity and believe you can get through to him, them. And one of the most painful things is when you speak to these people that you really care about and you've presented them what you think is bulletproof logic and you're not trying to violently make them, if you will, wrong. You're not trying to say in some sort of um, caricature of a religious extremist sense, you've been wrong, repent now or else. Right. It's simply, hey, I think I know a better way that can help you see right. a you, little you, bit you, more light. You're showing them the wheel. Yeah, the wheel or whatever it is. And it, what you have to do as a conservative, because you understand, conservatives naturally get this, that you look at the sweep of human history and you see this is not a unique thing and this is not a, a new thing. Human beings want, in many cases, to be ignorant of the new and the other and the strange because to be aware of those things is scary and re requires modifications to life styles and life schedules that are ingrained ruts in them. Yeah. Oh, and I the love that. second and the second you teach them something <clears throat> like you know guns don't cause violence, guns don't cause injury. Evil in the hearts of men and women. Right. <laughs> uh, either armed with guns or anything else, cars, knives, uh, trucks, uh, machetes, anything you hear in the latest round of ISIS attacks will cause damage. Um and guns are not the problem. Human evil is the problem. Yeah. And this goes to any, any issue under the sun. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. It's, we always talk about how the Democrats are always the party about the one-liners, and they have these, these quips, like you just said, war is not the answer, and I think you had another one. Uh, gu yeah, guns don't, uh, 
uh, sorry, people don't cause violence, guns do, whatever it is, right? These are the one-liners that they, they, they think are such great zingers, except when they, they don't face any facts on the ground. They, they just don't deal with the facts on the ground. And, and I think part of it is that they just don't want to learn. It's, we, you and I assume that people that are engaged in meaningful debate with you that they are willing to listen to your side and absorb it and say, here's why I think you're wrong. Here's why you might have a good point. Can you see it this way, Barack? That's what I do as a litigator, right? I, I have to. I mean, if, if I'm going to represent my client well, I better know what the arguments are and how effective the other arguments are, and more importantly, how persuasive those arguments are if I'm going to go into court because, by golly, the judge or the jury is going to is going to make that decision for me. I can't just say I'm right. I'm right. It's it's like a, I, I don't know. The, the the debate between liberalism and conservatism is kind of like the debate between who's right and who's who's liable and who's not, in a uh, in a civil proceeding. Really, it is. Now that I think about it, the only difference is we know that there's going literally going to be judgment day. There's going to, and that's a trial, right? Someone's going to make a decision, and that someone who's going to make a decision is, is is, as a decision is not going to be me or the opposing counsel. It's going to be the judge or the jury. So you better damn well be persuasive. That's the way it works. And and the debate between liberalism and conservatism, there is no judgment day. I mean, you can say the elections are to some extent. Yes, I, I agree, but there's no formal de- declaration. You are right, conservatives. You were wrong, liberals. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out like that. Well, We've now evaluated all, all the things, and it turns out that any notion of so- socialism is just utterly false and has never worked and never will work. We, we now believe that. Okay? We, we talked the same thing about Obamacare last podcast. We, and that's kind of in reverse. They, they never think one week ahead. This is on my Sunday show. That they have a glorious moment where they sign a, a piece of paper that, that I guess, 2,700 pages of paper that, that says Obamacare will be the, the new operating law of the land. Uh, but there's no glorious day where they decide whether or not it actually has worked, right? It just, it just has to kind of echo forever and ever. And we all have to, to just take it in the shorts, as it were, every day. And there's no final evaluation whether or not this has worked, I mean, again, maybe the Republicans will one day repeal it. I get that. But, but there's, no, there's no endemic built-in deadline by which there's going to be a decision saying, this sucks. This was wrong. Big mistake. And the same thing with climate change, now that I think about it. They announced climate change. I mean, you can, you can kind of more or less decide that, that, that the great glorious day when climate change was, was truly took hold of the country, and, and for that matter, the world, was uh, Al Gore's uh, movie, right? Uh, yeah, in 2006. Yeah, truth. In there, yeah. And, and that movie, uh, you know, that launched the, the you know, the, the thousand ships. The problem is we don't know where the ships are going and will they actually win any battle at all? Is, is there going to be a decision made? Because I think you take all the facts and the decision has, is, is clearly there, but no one wants to say, well, we've made an evaluation and we decided that it just doesn't work. It's just not. We were wrong, guys. No one's saying that. Yeah. Well, what you're you're getting into here is a, a very interesting set of conversations about the very nature of of the two operating philosophies. 
we as conservatives are always looking for, if you will, the judgment day, the scoreboard. When time runs out in a football game and the score is on the board and one team has more points than the other, that team is the winner. And what liberalism at its core, and this is sort of the grand unifying theory moment in, in our conversation right here, is a constant effort to avoid the scoreboard moment, to avoid the judgment at trial, to avoid the precedent from being set. Oh, I love because that. think about it. Yeah. $22 trillion has been spent on the war of poverty, and we've lost the war on poverty since 1964. Well, how many poor people are there in America? And what share of $22 trillion, if you just divide it equally among them, would they get? It's probably a lot of money. Wouldn't that have cured the, the, the poor problem? But no scoreboard on that. We just must continue to fight this. Yeah. Um, with global warming, we're dealing with a drought and then not a drought and then maybe a drought and then currently a drought <laughs> here in California. Some ambiguous word that invariably... The word drought is strung throughout the nomenclature and the, and the parsing of language in the last few months. But we're experiencing, if you watch the nightly news reports on weather, an atmospheric river from Hawaii culminating with low-pressure systems from Alaska is dumping torrential rain on 90% of the state. The part of the state, the, uh, if you will, the Himalayas of California, is this mountain range, is accumulating a ton of snow to store up water for the next few years. But all the liberals will announce now is in response to the, their previous pro proclamations that global warming was causing the drought, they're now saying global warming is causing the massive torrential right. rains. Right. So that, hold on, yeah, yeah. so that global warming can then cause the springtime flooding. Nowhere do they say, how about we have a scoreboard moment and build water storage for a year. Oh, you're getting ahead of it. You're getting ahead of it. Because that is a topic right, I wanted to I discuss. I didn't want to touch on yeah. that specifically, yeah. but I'm just saying in all things, right. they never want an accounting. They never want a precedent. They constantly want to prolong this, the the issues of, of mundane argument at the low level. And they have something going for them, which is as time goes by, there's new ignorant people called the young who are constantly into the system that they do their best to make sure don't get educated. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny, global warming, it reminded me of what you just said. Global warming has become this, you know, anything that you, you perceive it to be. It's the Windex. Right. Well, it's, it's, yeah, like, well, it's like you were referring to a previous <laughs> podcast that we had. We like right. that. But, but I, I'll, I'll make a different analogy. Global warming is like Obama. You know, you, you make him whatever you want him to be, right? <laughs> and so, well, first it's flash flooding. Now it's, now it's a drought. Now it's uh, hurricanes. Now it's a tsunami. Now it's moderate weather. Now it's a hot weather. You know, it's, uh, and, and the same thing was true with, with Obama, right? He could be anything you wanted him to be. He could be the savior. He could, he could be the practical man. He could be the communist. If you, if you were a communist, you could see that in him. Uh, he could be the uh, free market capitalist if you chose that, um, but ultimately the savior. So that's who he is. Anyway, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about that. Um, that is one of our topics, which is now that the drought is over, what do we expect the liberals to do in response to that? What, what can we learn from this whole process? Okay, here's a, a hint. Nothing, <laughs> okay, except to continue their restrictionist policies. They'll, they won't imagine anything else. The next thing we'll talk about may, after that... May, may I just interject one word? Yes. Complain. 
Okay, <laughs> that's true. Complaining through. So that's that's the hint of, of our discussion. But now what I want to turn to is because uh, it's related to our our notion of you know will they learn anything from from what we talk to them about? We, we, you give them the wheel, will they actually use it as the wheel? Okay, that's the notion. And uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is. You know the, the the movie Casablanca, right? Okay, well, and the, the theme is that uh, we'll always have Paris, right? They, they say that. It's one of the famous lines. We'll always have Paris. You know, Humphrey Bogart yeah, says that. Yeah, in response to Bogart right. and, or, you know, Elsa, Ilsa and Ricks. And, and it's, that's, that's not where I'm going. I'm just simply saying that that's what they have. They, you know, we'll always have Paris, right? So now that the, you know, in a similar way, you know, I like to, to make analogies all the time. In a similar way, the Democrats are now leaving the White House. And many of them have already left the, the House and the Senate. It's a, it's a changing in the guard, right? It's a big, big moment. And, you know, the question is, what are they saying that's similar to we'll always have Paris, right? I mean, that's not really what they're talking about, of course, specifically Paris. But they'll always have, for example, racism, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll always... We'll always have the uh, the rich are paying their fair share, right? We'll always have uh, America did some horrible things, right? So, and then they'll all nod their head. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a beautiful thing. That's true. We'll always have that. Didn't we? You know, we'll always agitate racism. They'll always have that, and 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 we'll say that to them. I've I've noticed that that I've actually said this in a cheeky way, yes, but in actually a very truthful way as well. Uh, you know, to my liberal friends who've, who lost uh, the election, meaning that at least our team lost, meaning Hillary lost, I said, listen, don't worry. You know, you'll always have that argument later on that, that uh, racist, uh, America's a racist country, that, that they're the wealthy and the poor, the gap is always increasing. You'll have that. Don't worry. It'll come back. Somehow it'll resonate probably in eight years, not in four years. But it'll, it'll resonate again when, you know, the, the country gets tired. So... We'll always have it. You'll always be able to blame Bush. <laughs> That's right. Uh, by the way, you know, a couple of days ago, Pelosi gave a speech and she blamed Bush. Oh, yes. That's right. Uh, this is... A decade. Yeah, that's true. Oh, why are some liberals still blaming Reagan? You know, it's it's uh, it's really quite extraordinary. Right. Um, a- anyway, so they, this is the way they talk. So I, I love this this notion. We'll always have this, and and it's it's because it's it's a little bit like the farmer with his ox, right? He can't think past the the way things are, the way the way he's been operating all his life. And and if I if you meet any liberal. You are meeting somebody who has not changed whatsoever. Okay, he will always be plowing the field without the wheel. Okay, never, never advancing in that department. What are you talking about, Barack and Ari? I mean, of course we do. We change. I'm not talking about in your personal lives. I'm talking about your political ideology. You will always stay the same. You will be that guy who never understands the wheel is right there in front of you. And it's actually there to help you. Can I crystallize that thought a little bit more in, in, a, in a nuanced sort of way? It's because it's to make it even starker and worse, it's not just political lives or political outlet. It's literally and absolutely their outlook towards others. Yeah. If they see someone on the street, and I don't mean like a homeless on the street, I just right. mean anyone on the street, these people have 
a certain type of, if you will, there's no other word really to use, a certain bigotry towards people, a certain expectation of where those people's station in life. It's essentially a caste system within the liberal's mind oh, for that sure. categorizes people, stratifies them into that place, and expects only so much from them, rather than an expansive view. And the way we look at people is, wow, everyone has this unlimited potential, and all we want to do for ourselves and others is have the opportunities for all of us to tap into it. Yeah, you're so right. That's that's a really good point. It's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail from there, and they they view human nature the same way. They, they never change their view on human nature. And I like that caste system concept that you just mentioned, that they do stratify people accordingly. Whereas you and I see the janitor, for example, and we see, depending, of course, on how old he, he might be, but we see him as a potential CEO of a great company, for example. Uh, we see, uh, regardless of a person's skin color, somebody who might write a great book, direct a great movie, or for that matter, just be a, a great plumber. Or a great lawyer. It doesn't matter. Right. We, we don't we, see race, sexual orientation, yeah, gender. You know. We, we, we see we see passion, and we see the, the 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 infinity of the human spirit. Okay. But likewise, it's not just human nature, by the way. It's also the way they perceive the origin of life, which is you know to them it's randomness and, and evolution. Uh, the, it's the same way about climate change. They, you cannot get somebody past their climate change ideology. It's bizarre. I mean, it's, it, there is a stone that you have to break through, right? I mean, literally, you can show them the wheel when it, coming, when, you, when it comes to the climate change argument and say, listen, all the facts that you had claimed, or at least that your Messiah, Al Gore, had claimed every single one of them, not just some. I mean, even if, even if 50% of it was wrong, he was wrong 100%. There was nothing right about what he said. I mean, he's almost reliable in the sense that everything he said was the opposite, you know, but so going forward, to the extent that predictions have not yet, you know, played out, I'm going to bet against Al Gore. Whatever he said, and I'm probably going to clean up. But anyway, the point is that they they are hard and fast in their rules about what they believe. So climate change, evolution, um, human nature, and the strat- the stratification of humans, you name it, overpopulation, the way to handle the rich and poor, minimum wage, all the things that we always discuss, they are locked into it and they will not be brought out of it. And that's why you and I marvel that, that liberals can become conservatives, but conservatives never seem to become liberal. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute impossibility. Yeah. I have never seen it. And, you know, to quote Han Solo, I've traveled one end of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff. And you know what I've never seen? I've never seen a real conservative turn liberal. Yes, not right. one. Yeah, not you a real think, one. You would think I'd find one. Right. Not somebody, <laughs> Just one. <laughs> not somebody who once, you know, registered as a Republican. Not somebody who voted, let's say, for, for Romney and decided to, you know, in 2012, but voted for Obama in 08, and now he's deciding to vote for Hillary Clinton. We're not talking about that, right? Yeah, we're, we're not talking, talking about political party. Right. We're talking about core values and understandings about how life right. works. Yeah, you and I, people like you and me, and Rush Limbaugh and Dennis Prager, they ain't, going, they, they ain't turning into liberals ever. Not just because we're older. On the contrary, because they, they probably were more uh, liberal in the past. The older they get, the more they realize the wisdom of conservatism. And it's, it's, a, it's a very important distinction to make. People just don't see this. And, and, and why I want to say this expression, like we'll always have Paris. 
but it, you know, it's it. We we joke around it. By the way, I think you said offline, Ari, and I loved it about uh, we'll always have Ferguson. I mean, right. that was that was brilliant. Because, <laughs> I mean, Paris is a more romantic city. No, but we'll, Ferguson. But we'll always have Ferguson. We'll always have that liquor store. We'll always right. have Michael Brown. We'll right. always have that fire. We'll always have Michael Brown's step baby daddy hopping up and down on that car, oh, yeah, denouncing yeah. God knows what. We'll have Trayvon Martin, and, and it will, right. it'll echo forever and ever because that's the way it is. You know, it, it's it, there's no changing them out of it. It's and, and so it's when we say we joke around, we'll always have Paris. When, when the, um, uh, what's his name, the, the, the character in Casablanca? Rick. Uh, Rick. When the Rick character says it to... Ilsa. Ilsa, right. Uh, I should know my characters better, shouldn't I? But that's the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, You're a busy man. I spend all day <laughs> watching movies. You know, Thank so. you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so when Rick says that to Ilsa, he, he's saying it in a loving way that whenever you want, you can always kind of hark back to Paris. So it's not a perfect analogy. In, in this sense, it's the ugly version of that. It's not that you, we, you'll always have Ferguson. You're stuck with Ferguson. That's the problem. Ferguson keeps clawing at you, keeps demanding your attention. It's that wheel yoked up around the yak. That's exactly what it is. You've decided to, let, to be chained to this bizarre narrative, a false narrative, no less, but it's a yucky one. Yeah, and you- it's, 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 a, it's a negative one. It's an ugly one. It's one that you wouldn't want to always have, right? But, but you you have it because you, you you decide you decided to saddle yourself with it because you chose to have an ugly version of yourself, whether whether it's about America, whether it's about God, whether it's about Western civilization, whether it's about the founders of uh, of, of of democracy, George Washington, and otherwise. You've decided that you're going to. This is the way you perceive it, and that's the way you'll always be stuck with it. Right, and it's almost like you've you've sentenced yourself to your own form of bondage, your own form of slavery. Yeah. You've yoked yourself to Marx, to Robespierre, to Mao, to Stalin, to Pol Pot, to, to Ho Chi Minh, you, you, Jane Fonda. You know, you've yoked yourself to all of these horrible philosophical minds, these, these anti-enlightenment figures. Right. And you see them running around the college campuses today indoctrinating the next generation as they set out to do. And they've yoked themselves to this misery. And I just stumbled upon this interesting connection, maybe in my mind. I remember being about nine or ten years old and having a really bad day. And uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was not in a good place. And I was laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep and I couldn't. And I remember touching the wall of my bedroom, running my hand along it, and the thought went through my mind, I hope there's no God. And I remember thinking it because I said to myself, I hope there is no God because I don't want to ever be held accountable for what I think, feel, say, or do. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to unleash whatever vengeance I feel unleashing upon all those who have hurt me without any accountability, not realizing that God wants you to in the sense of justice. Yeah. God wants you to be just and fair, and God, of course, wants those to get their just desserts. But the reason I yoked myself to, if you will, that self-imposed godless atheism was because the idea that there was a higher power than me meant that I did not have the power of God, number one, and number two, that I would have to be good if I wanted to live a life of integrity yeah. and yeah. I would have to 
allow the light in to learn new and uncomfortable things, like there might be some accountability you're held to both in life and after. And these are very scary ideas for a 9 or 10-year-old. And I realized just now, that's what we're dealing with. People are terrified of that. And terrified, to connect it to the previous analogy, of being liberated from their own bondage and and slavery. Exactly. You were going where where I wanted to go. But I want to take it a little bit step further. You know, what is the wheel? You know, the wheel is not just the wheel, of course. It's other things, too. The ability to read. Right. If you if you were to, um, uh, to 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 be given the gift as a human of being able to read, it's something that animals can't do, of course. So we're given the gift to be able to read, and what do you do with it? All you do is is read comic books all day long. You know, it might be fun for the time being, but it doesn't advance you. you that's not the reason why you're reading. The reason why you've been given the gift to read is so that you can discover and learn science. And, ex- and expand your mind and possibly see and learn what, what it's out there in the heavens and the universe and everything else, right? That's, that's the joy of reading, and that should be. You could use it for nefarious purposes, or you could use it, you know, like the farmer did, you know, just using the, the reading material like the wheel over, over the ox's head and just kind of, eh, well, it serves a purpose. Or you could use, you know, a, a wonderful computer like we're using today as, as a paperweight, yeah, it's, it's heavy enough to hold down paper. You bet. Okay, but that's not its intended purpose. And, and reading and otherwise and all those things, these are, these are the things that they don't realize, the great gifts that God and, and democracy and free market capitalism has given us. And they, they, they just don't want to learn. It's that they have, they have this mind. They have the ability to reason. They have the, the ability to use logic and deductive reasoning. And yet they just would rather use it to attack you and to not hear you and to shut off their brains. Now, look, in fairness to the liberals, I know their arguments. You know their arguments. We're surrounded by liberals. And we know them better than they do because we've made them before. We've made them, right? I've made every extremist leftist argument under the sun. And right. you know what's st- staggering to me? Yeah. That I haven't seen them come up with any new ones since I conserved. Oh, of course, of Since course. I've changed. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, and you can finish their sentences for yes. them, right? right? And, and it, well, like, how sad is that? But, but again, they make these arguments, and, and they'll make it now. They'll say, hey, I, I, use, this, uh, I use deductive reasoning all day long. I'm logical. I, I like to see beauty and such. No, I, I think you, to the extent that you see beauty, to the extent that you try to find purpose in your life, it's not because of your liberalism. It's in spite of it. You, you, are, you are borrowing from conservative notions, this notion that there is a self-actualization that's possible out there, that there is something grandiose about the human spirit. And you're using it, you're writing it, but, but everything you believe is the opposite of that. So you must have this incredible cognitive dissonance that is just kind of ramrodding, you know, between, you know, one, one fist punching the other. It's, it's just, it's got to be painful for you. And, and what the, the glory of conservatism, the wonder of God, for that matter, thinking with, with God in your mind is that you, you just, instead of, I don't know, it's, you know it's, like, it's like running down the down escalator. How about that? Instead of running down the ups, up escalator. How's that for a nice metaphor, right? And, you know, look, I'm putting aside the fun that little kids have with that. The reality is it's very hard to go down an, an up escalator. You're wasting your time. You're spending a lot of energy. Can you get down the escalator? Sure. Okay, but why would you do that? If you, especially if you want to get somewhere fast. 
Go down the down escalator and run down if you like. But that's what conservatism does for you. It, everything that you believe, that you think you believe, my friend, my, my liberal friend, everything, the notion of openness, the notion that you're tolerant, the notion that you're colorblind and such like that, that doesn't work with liberalism. Liberalism is the up escalator on that one. Yeah, the notion that you're keeping the government out of your bedroom right. while you're inviting them into every organ and orifice in your body. Oh, exactly right. Oh, yeah. And, and, but conservatism allows... Uh, is exactly the opposite of that. It is the tolerant. It is the the non-racist way of, of thinking things. You, you don't listen only to your fellow liberal friends out there. That's just an echo chamber. Talk to a real conservative like you and me, Ari. Talk to us, and we'll explain to you, not in an antagonistic terms, but you'll, you'll talk to them, and you'll begin to understand why things are so much more effective as a conservative and so much more of what you actually believe. And you'll be nodding your head a lot, you'll say, yeah, I guess I do believe that. Yeah, yeah, that too. Okay, all right, well, what about abortion? Hey, we'll talk about that. Maybe you won't even change your mind on an abortion. That's okay, but you're still a conservative. That's the point. Understand that whatever your position is, let's say on, on the classic example of a liberal, uh, the abortion issue, it's always the bugaboo. Okay, Be, you know, believe in the choice thing. That's fine. Maybe you'll change, maybe you won't. But understand that in every other respect, you're probably a conservative. Probably, right? And the other great thing about conservatism is there are no litmus tests, meaning it's like a buffet. You take what you want when you're ready to eat it. Yeah, I, I like that. And if you get hungry for more, you take more. There's no pressure. Other conservatives don't judge. We don't judge each other on our doctrinaire conservativeness in real life. And no, this does not. We're not talking about political candidates who were. Uh, advancing to a high elected office here where we have to scrutinize their different positions because we're entrusting them with power. Mm -hmm. That's different. Yeah. When, when we're talking politics amongst ourselves, we don't talk to John and go, well, John's almost conservative, but the abortion thing. And here's Fred. He's almost conservative, but he thinks there's some climate change. And there's, you know, Gina. Right. And she's conservative, except she thinks there should be some common sense gun control. We don't even look at each other like that. Instead, we, we work it out through robust conversations. And one quick point about this, which I think is fascinating, is if you look at our culture, and everything that's going against conservatism, both in culture and electoral politics, and by that, the standard things, media, culture, messages, movies, newspapers, everything, it's a miracle any conservative Republicans ever get elected, ever, yeah. with all that's going against them from the education system and everything else. But it must mean that there's something profound going on here, which is conservatism must be connected directly to the truth. Yeah. Thus, it can resist this avalanche against it and still win part of the time. Yeah, I, I, I think, by the way, Dennis Prager talks about that every once in a while. He always says it's, it's a really a miracle that conservatives win so often. But your point is, because he doesn't go further, maybe he does, but I, I haven't heard him. Your point goes further, which I like, which is perhaps the reason why is that conservatism taps into a truth that 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 even liberals with all their charades can't can't uh, push back. Yeah, can't they can't totally right. bury because somewhere in human nature, whether you look at the Soviet Union or Mao's China or Pol Pot's uh, uh, Cambodia, people knew right. two plus two still equaled four. That's right. Uh, the the Pope once, I think it was John Paul uh, the second, said, "Truth cannot 
uh, deny truth, words to that effect. I, I always thought it was a great, great response. Um, at some point, the ugly veneer, the ugly mask of liberal ideology gives way to reality. It has to. You know, it's, it's, you, you can, I mean, it's like a woman who, who is truly ugly uh, or a man. Who, let's use a man, for example. A man who's very, very hideous, and he wears a mask of Tom Cruise, who's you know, ostensibly very handsome, right, in order to fool his date. You know, it doesn't take very long until the woman will say, wait a minute. What's going on here? And she pulls off the mask, as, as in all the, the Mission Impossible movies, for that matter, and says, you're not who you claim to be. You have no idea how brilliant that analogy is because we can point to one word in recent memory, Venezuela. Yeah. Oh, good example. 18 years of mm-hmm. promises, or whatever it is, since 1998. That's uh, 17, 19 years of promises. And now the mask came off. Yeah. Now, starvation, which we conservatives said was coming, is now here. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit to the, um, <clears throat> the notion of, of all the, you know, we'll always have Paris sort of thing. And they're stuck with these. And it's not quite we'll always have Ferguson. It's more like we're always going to be stuck with Ferguson. That's the thing. And you're sticking, you're, you're saddling yourselves with this burden. Unnecessarily so. You are saddling it. You, 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 the, the fact that you constantly go back to the refrain of Ferguson and um, uh, Eric Garner and what Trayvon happened and, and, and Trayvon and Baltimore right. and all those things, yeah. and you don't, don't you don't even care about what actually resulted in in those in those determinations. That, that you know, too bad for you. I'm so sad, really. It's 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 how unfortunate that you still bring this up, despite the fact that the verdicts have been completely overturned on the, on that those issues. Not overturned, rather that that and didn't go your way. That the facts revealed themselves to be something quite different. It really is like reading. And then I want to move on to the next topic. We talked before about how the reading uh, aspect of it, what a gift that is, right? And, and if, can you imagine, and I said that I, I used the example of all you could do is read comic books. Let's not even use that because comic books, yeah, you know what? That's, there's some fun in that. You might actually learn about heroism if, and, and what it means to be um, valiant and such like and that. And truth, right? justice, and the American right. way. You, you might, you might in very a well. certain famous comic book, for instance. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that comic book ha- actually has to keep your attention, right? Yeah. So they're going to do something. They're going to try to appeal to your sense of valor and honor and truth and, and heroism. So good, good for them. So you might actually be okay there. But what if you were allowed to read, but all you were allowed to read was Mao's Little Red Book. How about that? How about that? Okay? Now you understand. Um, what, what a waste of that gift. I right? have to tell you something that happened last night. Um, we have, my wife has a relative, an aunt, and her name is Connie, and I jokingly call her Commie, with M's. And uh, she and her husband were having dinner with us, and they told us about a recent trip they took to Cuba. And I jokingly said, well, you better not tell me about that, even if it's legal, because, you know, I know people and I can make you disappear now. (laughs) Joking (laughs) about that. But one thing she said is what was amazing is they have the highest literacy rate in the world. They all can read. And I said to her, read what? That's true, Connie. But all they can read is Mao and Marx. Right. That's all it is. So so what? Yeah. Yeah. What a waste. And, right. and, 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 wait, right. and the fact that they're educated. Educated about what? <laughs> right. right? So, I, 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 you know, the, the point is that they can't, you know, the, gifts mean nothing. 
unless they're used for the betterment of, of yourself, the be- betterment of your civilization, to, to actually progress toward the greater, greater glory of God and to, to be able to connect more with God, then it's worth something. It's like the wheel, isn't it? Right? You use the wheel in the way that you will, but there's, there's one way of using it where you can actually progress your civilization. There's another way that you can use it as a paperweight or to, or to, to use it around your ox's, ox's neck, and that's it. It's a silly waste. And that's the way you, that so many on, on the far left, especially on the far left, that's the way they view any new idea. Now, I promise I would return to our last topic, which is the drought. Okay, and so the, the issue there is quite simple. We are now officially out of the drought because of a bunch of rain that came. Fantastic. That's great to hear. I, I felt okay to I, I'm keeping the faucet on for a little while longer while I was brushing my teeth. And, and great celebration of Ooh, all this. luxury. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and it, it's, it's absurd, right? But nevertheless, it, it made me think, as, as I'm sure it made you think, what, how will we respond to the next drought? And then I thought to myself, wait a minute. I'm thinking way beyond one week, aren't I? That's, that's way beyond what a liberal would think. They just think we're done with the drought and, and no more. That's it. They don't think to the next drought, do they? They don't think, okay, listen, we, whew, we're out of the drought now. It was really tough and such like that. Let's hope this never happens again. Okay? It's a little bit like, in fact, it's a lot like you're drowning a debt. You're about to file for bankruptcy and uh, $100,000 in debt. Boy, you really screwed it up. Big time, Ari. Okay. Uh, and now, somehow, you either win the lottery, you, get, you got an inheritance, or somebody lent you some money, and they said, pay it back whenever you feel like. Okay? And you get $100,000, and you pay it all off. Okay? Woo! You're done. Good for the moment, right? And then you do exactly the same things. You change nothing about your character. You, you don't seek a job. <laughs> you, you don't... Uh, you continue to do your drugs, your alcohol, whatever addiction you may have. And then, of course, you're going to end up back exactly in the same position. It's exactly the same thing. What are we going to do differently this time? But that question doesn't even enter the mind of the liberal. Because the liberal always thinks reactively. What are we going to do about this after the fact, once it's already hit them? Well, they so think the, one the drought, thing. The drought they, descends they upon think them. One thing before that, right? They think, well, I'm perfect. Why should I do anything? Uh, okay, first? that's right. Then, right. reactively, we'll right. respond to whatever comes up. You yeah, know, when that's it true. Comes up. That's fair enough. That's, that's, By the way, quick, 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 quick question though: Did they announce the drought is over? Because I saw something. <laughs> Silly me! Right. I saw them announce that the drought is only forty-one percent over. Oh no! I, I heard it was over. But let's, regardless, it almost doesn't matter. Okay, I was just curious. Let's about let's that. assume for the sake of this discussion that the drought is over and they've announced it and everyone's recognized oh, okay. it and there's a little party. Or I mean, unlike most other situations where they, you know, like Obamacare, like we talked about, here we actually do have an, an end. A scoreboard. A scoreboard. Yeah. And, okay, great. But the question is, what are you going to do about it next? That very question is not a question a liberal asks. Okay? What he will ask, you know, right now we should all be scrambling and saying, okay, listen, that was crazy crap. Uh, That's bad stuff. We have more people coming into California. There'll be more demand for water. Let's be prepared for the next drought such that we won't even feel it. Right? But that question is not a question that they ask. As, as you said, Ari, and I always loved it, 
uh, liberals always think in terms of how to uh, constrict, how to restrict activity in order to solve a, a, a supposed problem, sometimes a real problem like a drought, and sometimes a, a fake problem like global warming. But it's always about restriction of behavior and resources. By contrast, the conservative always thinks in terms of efficiency and expansionism. Very different things, right? Efficiency, you can say, is a form of restriction, but it's not. It's just being smart. And, and the Israelis know this very well. They, they, have, uh, they invented the whole notion of drip irrigation. Instead of just kind of you know, throwing a whole bunch of water on the lawn you know, wildly, they, they instead do, the, they, they do direct-to-soil uh, irrigation. That's much more efficient. It's actually cheaper, too. Why would you, you know, spray all, all this water, which is, gets lost to evaporation, just by being in the air where, where you can do this, this efficient way? So that was one thing. And then they, then they said, okay, well, look, we also want a lot more water. Well, we, they have these huge desalinization plants, which are fantastic. Then they also know how to recycle water from the dump. I mean, not from the, I guess from the sewer. So sewer water, they can cleanse it, they can purify it, and they actually have it as, as drinkable water at this point, having been sewer water. I mean, it's like, why not? Right? Instead of dumping it to the ocean, using it and finding a way to use it again. Right? And, and so you have two advantages to that. One is that you end the drought. And secondly, you end pollution, at least water pollution. But other than that, Israel's really on the wrong track. Right? I mean, but, but, but instead in California and for that matter, America, no one, no one has this conversation. They, they, they only think about how can we restrict people? And this is, again, small-minded thinking, which is antithetical to the whole notion of capitalism, to free market uh, principles, generally speaking. Completely antithetical to it. Yeah, I, I would almost classify liberal philosophy could be summed up as this. Let's focus on the smallest problem, the smallest issue, and create the maximum amount of inconvenience and frustration based on it. Perfect example the drought and water issues. Another example, traffic and highway issues, you know, road capacity. The best example of them all, paper and plastic bag restrictions oh, in so your supermarket. True. Let me let's go. Every time you go to the supermarket, which is the absolute culmination of every miraculous aspect of American life, this one building where you can get anything to eat and clean your house with. Right. And at the end of the process, for low-cost, maximum amount of food, they piss you off with how you're going to carry your groceries out. <laughs> I know. I know. You're right. This is, it's all about restriction. But they focus on such I, small potatoes. It's, it's always small. Um, but it's about how to think expansively, which is the word that you use, and I always liked yeah, it. Abundance. Is... Ab oh, okay. Great. But guess what? We're going to get caught with our pants down again. Okay. Now, here's a great prediction. I mean, you and I are very good in the, in the business of prediction. But this is a prediction, and I put that in quotes. Okay, another drought happens, let's say in five or six years, a real serious drought. Here's my prediction. They'll demand that we restrict our water usage. Again. They'll say that your bill will go higher if you use a, a, above a certain amount. It's exactly the same playbook. It is no different. You know, you love football, right? And you say, and, and football, you have plays different kinds of plays, and likewise in basketball, too. And you, <laughs> what, if, what if the quarterback just did the same friggin' play every single time, right? And, and you know, the team is not privy to what the huddle is, right, of what they're planning to do. 
right? So, <laughs> but all you know as the opposing team, the defending team, is that this team on, on offense is going to do the same play over and over again. You'll be able to respond to them. We know that. And this is, this is who the Democrats are, who the liberals are, generally speaking. It's going to be the same play. Yeah. They okay. don't have one playbook. They have one play. One play. And in 2020, when, and for that matter, 2018, but especially 2020, when they, they bring out a, a new Democratic contender. And you who, mean an, excuse me, you mean an old Democrat. Thank you. Good just point. a different old yes, one. Different old not one. A new, technically right. not a new one. Just a different old one. But it'll all be the same. <laughs> yes. Okay? It'll be the same play. It'll say the difference in the rich and poor. You know, it, it, you know they don't have to, to read any teleprompter because they've memorized it by now. I'd like to think. I mean, at some point when, you know, the Phantom was on uh, Broadway, you know, you'd like to think that they're no longer memorizing. It's just kind of coming out of their mouths because it's so routine. Yeah, I got this. 400 <laughs> right. performances in a year, I got this. I know what I'm know. doing. They're not yeah. going to say, line, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the same thing with the Democrats. I mean, you don't need, you don't need any teleprompter, do you, whoever you, you might be? You, you know that the, the arguments will be the same. Rich and poor, unions, global warming... Uh, drought and the children, the, yeah, the, the, the poor, the, the, right, right. you know, uh, fuel efficient cars, uh, you name it, solar energy and investments into such and such towns, um, you know, welfare, you name it. And, and that's, that's the way it's going to be. We, we know this exactly what's going to happen. Whereas with conservatism, it's always going to be about how do we expand that, that will be the one thing that's consistent. How can we maximize the, the human potential for America and for that matter, Western civilization. Yeah, and when they say to that's us, that's the only thing. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's the only thing that that will be consistent within the Republican uh, platform. Right, and I'll I'll cut them some slack on us. That yeah, we put, we run the same play too, but that's because it's based on principles that, well, let me be um, blunt here. Always work. Yes. Freedom always works throughout right. all of human history. Uh, increasing wealth. In families, individuals, and communities, always works and yeah. has since the Stone Age. Okay, yeah. it's it's human beings yearn to be wealthy and be freed from the need to earn money by having right. abundant wealth. Right. Uh, human beings, it's a it's an absolute truth that human beings need and yearn for enlightenment. So we talk about freedom to learn, freedom to connect with God, freedom to pray. These principles are oh. And the freedom to protect yourself. Of course, we always repeat the Second Amendment because it's so important to protect the first. Right. You don't have freedom of speech if you don't have the right to defend yourself. Right. Every you know the, the dig on um, Monsanto, the you know the seed company, the fertilizer company, and all that stuff. Yeah. The dig on them, right, right or wrong. I'm saying the dig on them, the accusation, shall we say, is that they create the seed uh, and the problem with the seed, and then they present the solution at the same time. So, you know, in the corner of the market on the seeds, and if you have to buy the seeds, and therefore you have to buy the only fertilizer, or I guess a pesticide that works with that seed that's resistant, and everyone's in one big happy Monsanto family, right? Yeah, it's the Apple ecosystem for agriculture. Right. So they, they, yeah, exactly. They want to, very good. Oh, I like that. Uh, but, they, you know, it's, it's a closed architecture. There you go. Yeah. And, but that's the accusation. I'm not saying it's right. I'm simply saying that's the accusation. Funny that, because... Every liberal policy, every scare that they have is exactly the same thing, right? They present the problem and they have the solution. So the drought is one example. And it's, it's, that's why I say it's always the same. 
the drought, ah, now we've got to restrict. And here's what you're going to do. And we, t- we talked about all the predictions of, of that. It never dawns on them that there might be a different answer to the drought problem. Right. It, it, even even yes. though even though other countries, particularly Israel, have had very successful answers to it. It's not as if they have to be we don't, we don't even have to be creative about it. We just got to say, can we borrow that please for yeah. a moment? Can we can we can we use that little uh flashlight you got there for cuz I need to, you know, tighten this widget? Thanks, dude. Yeah, do you have, do you, you have don't any, have to invent the flashlight. Right. Do you have any more of that that tubing there? It seems sore. But it, it's even worse than that. It, for for everyone. And this is what we we constantly as conservatives get so frustrated about. The Democrats used government to cause the problem in the first place. Yeah. They were the ones dumping water before the drought hit, trillions of gallons for I'm not even going to talk about the bait fish that they were trying to save, but the point right. is they were dumping water California people needed and would need, and any idiot could see would need sooner or later. They're dumping this water, and then a drought hits, and then they turn to the people who didn't dump the water and says, you got to pay the piper now. Right, and, and, it, and it doesn't dawn them on any other solutions. So they create the problem, or at least they exacerbate the problem, and now they also have the solution, and it's the only solution. Same thing is true, of course, with um, the overpopulation scare, right? And, and that's, uh, that one is my favorite one because it, it's such a great example of how the liberal mind thinks. We cannot have more people. We must have zero population growth, you know, one child per couple at most. You know, obviously, we're not going to force it, but this is what we really want. It's really scary if you don't do this. There won't be enough resources to feed every, everyone. will go hungry. We'll start eating each other. Certainly green and so forth. Okay? Right. And Oprah, and Oprah is going to give away abortions like she does cars on her show. Right. You know? <laughs> there you go. And, and, you know, every Tuesday, you know, the, they'll come <laughs> scoop you up, those people that happen to be in the street. Uh, and suicide will be, you know, really legal, no problem at all. In fact, it'll be encouraged. Uh, you know, that's the idea. <laughs> and, and, and this is the way they view it. So we got to do this. It never dawned on them that there might be another solution to the so-called overpopulation problem. And that is that we'll get more efficient with our food. And surprise, surprise, not only have we gotten more efficient with our food through free, free market capitalism, mind you, but we have more food than ever per capita. And people are, are climbing out of uh, poverty and hunger worldwide, not just in America, by 350,000 people per day. Okay, so, so much for the overpopulation myth. And, and of course, there was no, you know, a great meeting on the battleship Iowa, whatever, to, to, to declare surrender on the issue of the overpopulation, <laughs> right. right? It just kind of went out and no one's talking about it. Just please don't remind me. You know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, the time that the husband and the wife, they, they, got, they, they had this rough patch where the, the husband was beating his wife senselessly and is having a lot of adulterous affairs, but they got over that. They just never talk about that now, right? It's the same thing. <laughs> like, remember that over? Oh, don't, don't, don't talk about it. It's never. <laughs> but we'll always have the battered women's shelter. That's right. That's right. You know, when we Republicans, <laughs> we'll always have the overpopul- their overpopulation scare. That's another thing. Then likewise, uh, you know, the uh, global warming, of course. They, they truly invented this one. This, this is my favorite one. Because overpopulation, you know, some, you could always argue, well, gosh, you know, at some point, there are going to be too many people on the planet. You, you know, just, you know, do some math. You, you, you know, can see that the global population is going to be growing, going to be growing. And at some point, well, you know, it can't sustain. I understand the argument. I don't, we disagree with it for many reasons. But at least you can say there's, there's a legitimate foundational logic to it. Global warming, on the other hand, is 
purely concocted out of whole cloth. It's, it's totally garbage. Someone said, you might as well say, we must stop this problem of the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. What's up with that? we got to stop this planet and turn it around. That's right. I don't. And if we could just turn it around, everything will be fine. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that, you, might, you really might as well do right. that. Okay. So they, they just invented this because, you know, well, guess what? I mean, there's natural cycles to the climate, but they decided this was a problem. You understand? The, the, the fact that the sun is primarily responsible for climate change or any temperature, that's, that's no big whoop. We don't want to think about that. It's only us. Only us. That's the that's the hubris. I I should say the narrow mindedness of the the, the liberal white the, the climate um, uh, science of, you know enthusiasts. They they just they won't even entertain that as a possibility. Nor will they entertain history as a, as a possibility. Nor will they look at the little ice age that started in 1300 and ended in 1860. No no no. It's all us. You understand. And so the solution they they have the problem and the solution, right? I mean, I like it when my associates come to me with, you know, with, to declare, that, hey, Barack, we have this problem, but good news, I found a solution to it. I like that, okay? And no doubt, this is what the far left thinks that they're doing for the planet, right? But the problem is they invented this problem, and now they invented the solution to this problem. And the solution, like, like, like they accuse of Monsanto. Right. And to be absolutely clear, let me be perfectly clear, the solution causes more problems than the initial imaginary right. problem, right. which is a very important point oh, that sure. they just don't hear. That's the part about when we start at the top about their lack of enlightenment. And then one other thing that's... Wait, wait, wait. It's, it's like the, home, uh, the Simpson episode when Homer holds up the beer bottle that he's been uh, deprived of for so long, and he's so happy to have the beer bottle. And he holds it up into the sky and he says, uh, alcohol, the problem and solution to all life's problems. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And then part and parcel of that, and I think the, the, in, the, in the global sense, a perfect sort of off-ramp to this to, in a conclusive way on this grand theory, if you will, or, or unifying theory is – Look how misery is part and parcel of liberalism. In other words, they can never point to scoreboard because it would require some human satisfaction for once right. that would impede on the misery that allows enlightenment never to come in. So with the drought, they can't say, ah, drought's over. Woo. Thank God. Instead, right. they have to immediately scream, global warming is causing this, this torrential rain, and now the floods are coming. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, the, the solution And then is they can never us. say, well, with floods, won't we capture some of the water? So it doesn't fall. Oh, we can't do that. That'll affect the environment. <laughs> There's only one solution for everything that they propose, um, and, and, and sometimes everything that they invent. Uh, the war in poverty is a good example, too, right? There's only, there is a problem, or so, so they claim that there's massive amounts of people on the street. It's not true. It's just not. So it's an invented problem. I'm not saying that there's no poor, but this war on poverty, it just doesn't exist. And, and the war is not working, so to speak. And their solution, which has been running on now for 50 years, uh, has, has not uh, alleviated any of the so-called poverty that they claim. It's and probably made, only worsened it. Yeah, made people more poor. Right. And same, same thing with traffic congestion. We, we, we talked a little bit about that offline. How you know they, they they create this problem, and for the ultimate purpose perhaps of having a lot more public transportation, but the last thing they want to do is actually open up new freeways, which is the obvious answer to it, or in the alternative to simply charge people uh, along the way for using it during rush hour times. 
And those rush hour times will change anyway. The, the, the bottom line is that they, they would never, it would never even dawn on them. Dawn on them for a second that, that charging people for freeways might be a, a simple solution to resolve this, this so-called problem. And they say, how can you do that? That's, it's the public freeways and everything else. And I say, okay, you're doing it with your, your parking meters. You're charging people to park. Well, why can't you charge people to use the roads? And, and when you ask people that, it's, it's, they scratch their heads. And they, they're trying to find a, a distinction, but they can't. Yeah, and, and think about it also, the irony of this. They're, they're, they look at a parked car as an income center, a revenue center. Yeah. But the moving car, which is burning all that carbon, they look at rewarding. Yeah, as long as the car stays in motion, burning fossil strange. fuels, making their global warming worse, oh, we're not going to punish that. Well, right. and, 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 li- and likewise, yeah. and likewise, the, the the notion of taxing people, you know, that the, the solution to taxing is uh, to the tax or the revenue problem or whatever that might mean, uh, is to uh, you know tax the rich people even more, and to tax uh, people on lower income levels even less. And that's the solution, and that's the fight. That's where it should all be drawn down. It, it, it doesn't dawn on them either. Maybe a solution would be to have a sales tax, uh, a consumption tax, as it were, which completely re- reverses the whole notion of how we, we gain taxes. And, and, and it's far more fair, and it doesn't punish people for working. Yeah, but, don't you want to reward people yeah. for being successful? Don't you want to increase the number of successful right. people it, rather it's than a, con- it's a last restrict thing. it? Yeah, exactly. It's the last thing they want because, you know, one can argue in a cynical way that they actually want unemployment numbers to be high all the time because that would make those people more and more dependent on the government. But let's not go there. I mean, I would hate to be that cynical. That would <laughs> right. be an absurd argument. Yeah. <laughs> no one would ever think. But, but solutions. Take the wheel and use it for its intended purposes. That is the way it's got to be. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week.